Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. birthday party, okay? Uh, and uh, from a friend at his daycare, I have to admit it was a very cute card, lots of different colored um, uh, fonts, and, uh, and he was excited. Um, invitations have that effect on us, don't they? Invitations. Someone cared enough to want me to be present there with them, right? To include me. That's something, isn't it? That's something. And if any of you have ever um, hosted an event or, or, or a party or, or a gathering of friends, you know that no matter how nice you make that invitation card, what it ultimately does to your guest list is what? It divides. It divides, doesn't it? What do I mean? That invitation card is going to divide your guest list into two groups, those who can attend Those who say, yes, I'm coming, and those who say, no, right? Just two groups. It divides. Well, much to my son's dismay, unfortunately, um, on the day of that party, we had a prior engagement, okay? So, yeah, very sad, very sad. He couldn't go. And so my wife had the difficult task of having to respond to the parents uh, of this child and, um, and to say, sorry, we'd love to come, but we just can't make it. We have a prior engagement. We have a prior uh, commitment. And even that got me thinking. Because you see, um, every response to an invitation has a reason, doesn't it? If you go to somewhere, you have a reason why you're going. If you can't make it somewhere, you also have a reason why you can't make it. You always have a reason. There's always a reason for your response to the invitation. Well, as we come to John chapter 7, this is what we're looking at. Jesus is going to extend to us the greatest invitation. The greatest of invitations he's going to extend to us. Um, But as with any invitation, the recipients, you and me, and, uh, and every human who's ever lived, we are going to be divided by our response. Okay? We're going to be divided by our response to his invitation. And, and as we go through this text, as you heard it being read, John, the apostle who wrote this letter, this book, he's not only going to tell us how people responded to Jesus' invitation, he's also going to go a step further to tell us the reasons why, okay? The reasons why people responded the way they did. And these are reasons that I believe each and every one of us will recognize, even within our own hearts, within our own hearts. And so here's my prayer. This is my prayer for us this morning, church, church family and friends. It's simply this. Number one, hear Christ's invitation. Okay, we're going to look at it. I want you to hear it. Hear what the invitation is. Number two, we're going to look at the reasons people responded the way they did. Okay, you're going to see various different responses, and we're going to look at those. But at the very end, after all of that, I want each of us to look inward. There's no point, right? Just gathering the information and leaving. 
I want us to look inward, to examine our own hearts, to respond to his invitation while it still stands. While it still stands. So with that in mind, we go to John chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, please turn there. John 7, we're starting in verse 36. Um, uh, I'm sorry, 37. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the, in the chair in front of you. Just grab it out and uh, follow along. It'll be very helpful to you as we do that. So, so let me set the scene, right, before we begin, just to get a picture in your mind as to what's happening. Um, it was the annual Jewish feast, okay? It's the Feast of Booths, they call it, okay? Or the Feast of Tabernacles, it might say in your Bible. And what was that? Well, it was a time when all the people of Israel would gather together. Just picture this, all the people coming together, and they're having this feast to remember the 40 years that their ancestors spent in the wilderness. You remember this, right? When God sustained them for 40 years in a wilderness, and they're wandering there, they spent years living in these makeshift shelters or booths. Okay, that's why, hence the title, Feast of Booths. Um, and as John tells us in verse 37, look at verse 37, he says that we've come to the last day of this festival. Okay, it's the last day, uh, the great day, as he calls it, when the people celebrated the end of their wandering, which also marked what? The beginning of their entrance into the promised land, right? At the end of their wandering, they got to Jericho, right? They entered the promised land. So this was a celebration, Okay, today is a celebration, everyone's in a celebratory mood, and tradition tells us that on this last day, there was a procession in the streets, okay? So through the streets, they would carry these vessels of water, filled with water, and they would carry it down the street, and then they would pour it out um, at the temple court, and it was a symbolic gesture, okay? It was meant to remind the people of how God quenched your thirst. Right? When you were in the wilderness, wilderness is a non-habitable land, right? There's no access, but God quenched your thirst. Does anyone remember how God did it? Numbers chapter 20. God, you're looking at me still kind of funny, right? So no, what it is is, remember God miraculously brought forth water from a rock, right? Remember this? He told Moses to speak to the rock, and instead Moses struck the rock, Right? And from that, God still, in his mercy, he brought forth water so the people wouldn't die of thirst. So this is the context, okay? This is what's in the people's minds. And with that in mind, um, here we are. It's, it's on this background. The feast is about to end, right? Meaning the people are about to go back to their homes, and it's barely six months left before his own crucifixion, okay? Before his own crucifixion, and it is on this background that the very rock that Numbers 20 was always pointing to, the true rock from whom alone living waters come forth, that rock, the rock that is Jesus Christ, stands up among them, and then he cries out his invitation. Okay? So here it is. Verse 37, here's the invitation. If anyone, if anyone, he's crying it out, right? If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone. Beloved, see how wide the invitation is extending, right? If anyone, what does that mean? That means whoever you may be, right? 
It doesn't matter uh, who you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. If anyone recognizes their thirst, right? What does that mean? It means recognize your need for God. If anyone can do that, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. I hope you, you heard that right. He didn't say, it's not an invitation to come to religion, is it? Is it? No. It's not an invitation to come to rituals, right? Or to come to good works. No, no, no. This is an invitation to come to Jesus himself. To Jesus. And to drink. That metaphor, um, the metaphor of drinking, it's one that we've covered already, haven't we? Right? In John's gospel, we've covered this, right? What does it mean to drink? Simply, to drink means to believe. That's what it means. To believe. To believe in Jesus. To believe he exists. To believe he is who he says he is. To trust in him, right? This is how your eternal thirst is going to be quenched. This is how you come to God, right? How many people in the world would love the answer to that question? How do I come to God? Here it is. Believe in Jesus. This is how you come to God. This is how you have relationship with him. Through believing. Through faith and faith alone. And you know what? Be honest. That sounds too simple, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Right? Does that not sound so simple to you? It seems too simple. All I got to do is, is recognize I'm not satisfied with my life. I'm not satisfied by sin. That, that I have a thirst for something more. I have a thirst for a relationship with God, a right relationship. And come to Jesus? That's it? Come to him by faith. Yes. This is the invitation. This is the invitation. And though it might seem simple, okay, on the outside, it may seem simple to you if you're hearing it, especially if you're hearing it for the first time, though it might seem simple, I want you to know something. It is an invitation that was made possible only because the one who is offering it to you, the rock who is offering it to you, was struck. Only because that rock, Jesus Christ, was struck. When was he struck? On the cross. On the cross. When he died for your sin. So that you can come to him by faith. Right? That you can come to him by faith. So this is Christ's invitation. Okay? This is the invitation card that you're holding in your hand right now. This is it. And now... Um, Having delivered the invitation to us, John is going to show us the way that people responded to those inv that invitation. Okay? The RSVPs, if you will. Okay? The RSVPs to Christ's invitation. And the very first response that Jesus tells us about in verse um, uh, 38 are those who believe. Okay? Those who believe. That's the first response. And as I look across this room, I have to be honest, I am filled with joy that so many of you fall into that category, that you have believed. But here's my caution to you. Sometimes in a sermon, when you think, okay, I believe, like what else has he got to say to me, right, <laughs> today? I, I don't want you to switch off because I don't want you to miss this. Remember, I told you, Jesus is going to go a step further and give you the reason why you believe, right? So many of you are here, you're like, I already believe. Why did you believe? What's the reason? Let's look at it. Verse 38, don't miss it. Verse 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his 
heart, so something is starting in the heart, right, will flow rivers of living water. Now, what's that? Right? I don't see any puddles in front of you guys, right? So otherwise, none of you are believers. No, no, no. What does that mean? Look at verse 39. John clarifies. Now, this he said about the what? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, what is John talking about? Right? What is, what is all of this? Here, here it is. If you truly believe in Jesus this morning, okay? Many of you here, you're nodding your heads. You believe, right? You believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, like rivers of living water, okay, that kind of abundance, that kind of outflow, you are a blessing to the world around you. That's what it's saying. Christian, I want you to understand, you are impacting the people in your life, in your sphere of influence. Like a river that's flowing out. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit that's in you. Because of the gifts and the, and the fruit and the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're impacting the world. Think about that. Wherever Christians live, they are blessing th- their environments because of the Holy Spirit in us. Not because of us, because of the Holy Spirit. This is what happened at Pentecost. You remember Pentecost, Acts chapter 2? Has anyone been reading the book of Acts lately? That's half a joke, right? We've been studying the book of Acts for the last couple of years, haven't we? At Bible study. Everyone's silent. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we have. <laughs> right? That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. When Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he do? He sent the Holy Spirit in a new fullness, right? A new kind of power that had never happened before, that the believers had never experienced before, launching the early church. That's what happened, right? In Acts chapter 2. And that's a big deal. I want you to think about this. When Jesus was on, his, on the earth, his ministry was limited. What do I mean? His ministry went wherever he went, right? He was in Galilee, it was in Galilee. If he was in Jerusalem, it was in Jerusalem. But what happened after Jesus was glorified and sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit resides in every believer, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is going everywhere. We go. Isn't that amazing? the greater impact that would happen. That's why in John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, it is to our advantage that he goes away. Isn't that odd? Why would it be to our advantage that Jesus goes away? Because he would send the Holy Spirit, a helper to be with us, that the gospel would spread even further. We would do even greater things, right? And so this is the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. So verse 39 is saying, remember, we are in John chapter 7, right? Acts chapter 2 hasn't happened yet. Are you following me, right? So John 7, Acts 2 is not yet. So what he's saying here in verse 39 is, the Spirit is going to come in a new way, right? And that happened in Acts chapter 2. He came in a new way that the believers had yet to experience, but this is very important, okay? Because some people get mixed up here and they think, okay, does that mean the Holy Spirit wasn't active until Pentecost? And the answer is a resounding no. The Holy Spirit was active. Absolutely he was active. How do we know that? Because when you look at believers in the Old Testament, look at a guy like King David. What does he say? Psalm 51 verse 11, do not cast me away from your presence. And what does he say? Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Right? 
So, 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 so what am I saying? For anyone in human history, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus, after Pentecost, doesn't matter. For anyone in human history to respond to God with faith. For you seated here, if you believe in Jesus, the reason you have come to believe is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit regenerated your heart. Regenerated your heart. I love, um, I was at youth a couple weeks ago. One of, the, one of the youth asked, what does it mean to be born again? Guys, don't underestimate what our youth are asking, okay? They are asking some good questions. What does it mean to be born again? Here it is. This is what it means. Your heart is regenerated. Okay, I want to show you this from Ezekiel chapter 36. This is what God says he's going to do, okay? I will give you a new what? This is a transplant, Right? This is a heart transplant. I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and he's going to remove your heart of stone to give you this new heart, new heart of flesh. And the next verse says, and I will put my spirit within you. This is how you're able to follow the Bible. Why? Because it says, and cause you to walk in my Statues. Did you think you were a good Christian because you're so good? No. What is causing you to even be able to follow this? Is it not the Holy Spirit causing you to walk in His ways? A, a New Testament verse, John 6, 63. We looked at this before in, in our series. It is the Spirit who gives life. How clear can it get, right? You are dead. It's the Spirit who gives life. Life. And then in verse 64, he says, but there are some of you who do not believe. So what that means is, for you to believe and have life requires what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Oh, Christian, you believe in Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to let that sink in for a moment because I have to be honest with you, for the longest time in my Christian walk, I got this messed up. I got this twisted, okay? And I'm going to tell you, the, tell you the two statements, and they sound like each other, but they're very different. Listen to this. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit because you believed, okay? You believed because of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that again? Okay, it's very important. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit because you believed. Right? So you, like, as if you made a choice all of a sudden to believe, and then God said, okay, since you believe, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It's the other way around. You believed because of the Holy Spirit. It's huge. It's a big difference, isn't it? It has huge implications. You know why? Because I want you, if you're a Christian, I want you to think back to the first night that you believed. Okay? It wasn't the preacher, was it? B based on what I'm saying. It wasn't the worship team, as good as they were. Right? It wasn't the person who prayed with you. Right? It, was, it doesn't matter how nice the invitation card looked. It wasn't any of those things because none of those things could have made you respond because dead people don't respond. We were dead in our sins. Dead people do not respond unless the Holy Spirit regenerates your heart. You begin beating again. So that this time, when the invitation is given, it may be the eighth time, the tenth time, the hundredth time you've heard the gospel call, all of a sudden you responded differently. Why? Why? Because of the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart. Church, are you not thankful 
Are you not thankful for what the Holy Spirit has done for you? I had to pause here. You know, as I'm studying this, I thought, where would I be without the Holy Spirit? Where would you be? I have to share this quote with you as I just wrap up this first point, okay? This is from Charles Spurgeon, and really, very few people can say it better than Charles Spurgeon, right? Right? I want you to hear this, okay? Here's what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says this, For what would we be without him? He gave us understanding that we might know the truth. He awakened our consciences, convicting us of sin. He gave us a hatred of sin and led us to repent. He taught us to believe and made us see Jesus, the Son of God. The Spirit has worked in us faith and love and hope and every grace. There is not a jewel on the, on the neck of our souls that He did not place there. Who has comforted us in our distresses? Who has directed us in our perplexities? Who has strengthened us in our weaknesses? Who has helped us in our infirmities in 10,000 ways? Is it not the Comforter whom the Father has sent in Jesus' name? Amen. Say amen, church. That is, that is what God has done for us. And so the people, out of these, this new heart, what do they do? What do their lips declare? They can't help but say, in verse 40, they say, this really is the prophet. This really is the prophet. They couldn't have said it on their own, right? The Spirit has done this. Verse 41, this is the Christ. Okay, so this is the first group. I told you, there are a couple groups here, right? The first group, those who respond with belief. They believed. Which brings us to the second response, okay? And you can probably predict where I'm going here. The second response to Christ's invitation are those who did not believe. Okay, I don't have much of a thesaurus. I don't have a lot of English vocabulary, so I'm just going to keep it simple, okay? Believe and not believe, all right? I know there's some English teachers here. Forgive me. Verse 41, okay, let's see this next group. The second response, okay? First response, those who believed. Second response, those who did not believe. But some said, verse 41, is the Christ to come from Galilee? I love the way Brother uh, Elder Bruno read it. You had that kind of tone to it, right? Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Verse 42, has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David? Right? From Bethlehem, the village where David was. And so, verse 43, there was a division among the people over him. Remember I told you, what, is, what do invitations do? They divide, don't they? They divide. And so we see it here. You have to understand, um, first century Galilee was this, it had a poor reputation. Okay? It had a very poor reputation. It was seen as this backward place, right? Um, it was a mixed region. They didn't really follow the Jewish law that well. Um, I was trying to think of a modern equivalent to give you, like the city of blank, but I thought anything I say is going to offend someone, so I'm going to leave it to your imagination, okay? You know, you know the city I'm talking about in your mind, right? Whatever that is. Um, but you get what they're saying, right? It's a derogatory statement. They're like, like surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, of all places. And here is what's so remarkable about this second group, okay? Remember I told you they don't believe, but here's what's remarkable and tragic and scary. Here it is. What do we learn in verse 42? Look at verse 42. These people actually knew the Scriptures. Right? Do you see that? In verse 42, what are they saying? They knew. They knew the Bible. They knew that the promised Son of God was supposed to come from the line of 
David, that's in the Old Testament, right? Many, many verses in the Old Testament say, uh, are prophesying that. They knew that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, right? That's another verse, Micah chapter uh, 5, verse 2. You, O Bethlehem, too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one to be ruler of Israel from ancient of days, right? They knew all of this. So, 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 so you have to ask the question in your mind. If they knew the Bible, why would they not respond, right? Isn't that coming, like, like why would they not, what, what, would, what, what was, what's the reason? Well, here's the tragedy, church, and, and, and I want you to pay attention. Here's the tragedy. They knew what the scriptures said about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. You catch that? They knew what the Bible said about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. And you're probably wondering to yourself, how is that possible, right? Like, how is it possible that someone could know this so well and yet not know Jesus? And Jesus gives us the reason a few chapters earlier. Uh, it'll come up on the screen in John chapter 5, okay? It's a, it's, it's a hugely, it's a massively important verse. John 5, take a look at this. Speaking to people just like this, this is what Jesus says. He says, you search the scriptures, right? You search the scriptures, the Bible, because you think that in the scriptures you have eternal life. And it is they, it is the scriptures that bear witness about Jesus. Verse 40, here's the key. Yet you refuse to come to me. To come to me that you may have life. What was Christ's invitation at the beginning? If anyone thirsts, let him do what? Read the scriptures. Let him come to me. Right? Come to me. What am I saying? They knew so much about him, and yet somehow they refused to come to him. And we know that because, you know how we know they never came to him? Because had they come, and had they even asked him the question, what would they have learned? That in fact, Jesus' father and mother were in the line of King David. Did you know that? Luke chapter 3, Matthew chapter 1. Uh, had they come and only asked him, had they inquired of him, what would they have learned? But that Jesus was born in a stable in Bethlehem. We know that, the nativity story, we know that. Matthew chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. What's my point? As scary as this sounds, as frightening as this sounds, church, Jesus tells us that it is possible it is possible for you to know the Bible and not know Him. And I don't know about you, but I was terrified when I contemplated that truth. You know why? I want to speak to my generation. Those of you who grew up in the church like me, many of you are here. You've grown up in the church, right? You know all the Sunday school stories. Great, right? Maybe you can paraphrase lots of verses, right, about Jesus. You know lots of the verses to, to paraphrase. But be honest, my brothers and sisters, do you really come to him? Do you really come and spend time inquiring of him? Or are we reading the Bible simply to gain more knowledge, right? It's an academic exercise, right? Void of faith. Void of actually coming to meet with Jesus. I want to share this with you. Um, I'll never forget 
early in my marriage, um, Naroshi and I, we would share, after we did our devotions, we would share with each other. Okay? Maybe some of you guys are, are, do that as well. Um, I remember the first time I, I shared with her, after I did my devotions, I shared with her, I finished sharing, and then she kind of looked at me strange, and, um, and politely she asked me, uh, but what did God say to you? <laughs> And I got to be honest, I was thrown off. We were in the honeymoon phase, so we were, I was very nice about it, but I was, you know, in my nicest, you know, kind of, um, I guess it was arrogance, um, I, I repeated myself, right? I said, well, as I said, love, like, you know, I, you know, I learned that, you know, Bethlehem was south of Jerusalem and in Judea, and did you know this interesting? And she said, I heard what you learned. I heard what you learned, but how did God speak to you? Through that passage, right? Was your purpose in that quiet time, was it not to come before Jesus? Were you not meeting with Jesus? As that scripture was bearing witness about him, did you come to him or did you stop here? We don't worship the Bible, church. Right? Do we worship the Bible? No, the, Bi we, we, the Bible is the most precious thing we have because it points to Christ, whom we worship. Right? Christ. This is the question I want to ask you. Next time, tonight, tomorrow, whenever you go to your, to your devotional time, have you gone there to learn more information? Or did this point you to Jesus who was there with you by faith and you met with him. Because I tell you, there are a lot of Christians, Christians who have left the faith, who knew tons and tons of things, more than you and me, yet they refused to come to him by faith. By faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so the second response to Christ's invitation were those who did not believe, and the tragic reason being that they knew this, but they didn't know him. Okay? So, that brings us to the third response. Third response. There are four responses, okay? Third response. The third response to Christ's invitation were those who were torn. Okay? Those who were torn. And we pick things up in verse 44. You can turn there to verse 44. Let's take a look. Now, some of them wanted to arrest Jesus, but no one laid hands on him, verse 45, and the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why didn't you bring him in? Why didn't you bring him? Verse 46, and the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. No one. Verse 47, and the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have you also been deceived? So the third response that John records for us is, are those who were torn, okay? The, the officers. You know, we first meet these officers a few verses earlier. Look at verse 32 for a second. We meet them in verse 32. And in verse 32, um, the chief priests and Pharisees are sending these officers out to do what? They have an order. What's the order? Arrest Jesus, right? This was their order. From the highest human authority they had, right? The Pharisees and the chief priests, their order was to arrest Jesus. And what do we discover in verse 44? They couldn't do it. They couldn't do it, right? And I don't want you to assume the reason why, okay? Because 
It's not because Jesus was being, um, what's the word, crafty, okay? It wasn't like Jesus was trying to slip through the crowd so that he couldn't get caught. That, that's not what's happening. And, and it's not because these officers were incompetent, right, that they couldn't fulfill that order. They probably had done it a million times before, right? They're officers. That's their job. They're temple police. That's their role. But verse 30 tells us why no one could lay a hand on him. Why? No one could lay a hand on Jesus because his hour had not yet come. Does that not give you comfort, church? It's because, you know why? No force in the universe was going to stop the Son of God before his time. There's no power that was great enough to thwart his will. Isn't that, isn't that a comfort to you? And so, who, were, who was it that was caught in the middle? The officer. Think about it. On the one hand, they have this fear of their authorities, right? They have this order. We are to arrest Jesus. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, they're standing before the authority that they have never met before in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And so they were torn. Why did we not bring him in? No one ever spoke like this man. As I was preparing, you know, one of the commentators, they were saying, um, they made a great insight from this, like, the officers could have never known how true their statement was, right? Like, they may have said it like hyperbole, right? Like, like they're exaggerating. Well, we've never met anyone like this, right? You've said that, right? Oh, I've never met anyone like so-and-so. But they could have never known how true their statement was. For no man, past, present, or future, would ever speak with equal authority, wisdom, and power as Jesus. As Jesus. You know, sadly, John doesn't tell us what finally comes of these officers. We never learn. In the story, it's, it's not told to us, right? If they feared man more than God, right? Or if they feared God more than man, or if they remain uh, kind of torn, right, in the middle. We don't, we, we don't find out. But the one thing we do know, if you look at verse 47, look at verse 47, the ridicule of the world was swift, right? Was swift. What do the Pharisees say? Basically, immediately, what do they say? They say, have you also been deceived? You know what they're saying? They're saying, surely you are not foolish enough to believe this, Right? Like, like, like you, you're smarter than this, right? You're smarter than to believe in this whole Jesus stuff. And if that sounds familiar to you, church, can I suggest that perhaps the reason is because this is not unlike the same swift ridicule and rejection that you and I will face if we ever were to open our mouths and speak up for Jesus. Be honest. Isn't that true? It's true. In your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, if you were to speak up for Jesus, is this not the response you would get? In fact, is not the fear of man the thing that's hindering you in your evangelism? Isn't it? The fear of man. But what these officers didn't realize, and I think what, what you and I often forget, I can be honest too, I forget this too, is that for someone to remain torn, think about it, for someone to remain stuck between two forces, what does that require? That means that the fear of man and the fear of God must have equal pull, right? 
For someone to remain stuck in the middle means the forces must be equal. But here's the truth, church. One of those is worthy to be feared far more than the other. Far more than the other. Why do I say that? What's the worst that man can do to you? What's the worst? What's the worst thing a man can do to you? Kill your body, right? Kill your body. That's the worst that man can do. But as every Christian martyr knows, it is a far more fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God than to fall into the hands of man. You know why? Because man has authority only to kill your body. God has the authority to forgive the sinner and grant life, but also the authority to destroy both body and soul in hell for eternity. One of these fears is not like the other. And so, we've looked at three responses to Christ's invitation. There, there were those who believed, right? Those who did not, and those who were torn. And finally, we look at the last group, those who were wrong, okay? Those who were just wrong. Okay, I want to uh, um, explain this to you. There are people whose pride, okay, whose pride and arrogance make them think that they know better, right? You know people like that, right? People, maybe, maybe look in the mirror, right? Ooh, I don't know, <laughs> right? But there are people, me too, but there are people whose pride and arrogance can make them think that they know better. And in this case, in, in this passage, people who thought they knew better than Jesus, right? Who knew better than his invitation. And as we're going to see, they were wrong again and again and again. And the ironies in the next few verses are almost humorous. If it wasn't so sad, it would be humorous, okay? I want to show you this. Look at verse 48, okay? Follow along. The chief priests and the Pharisees, that's who we're talking about. They're rebuking the officers, right? They, were, they said, have you also been deceived? And here's what they say next, verse 48. Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Right, what are they saying? The religious experts... The rulers, all of the, the authorities have not believed in him. Are you saying that we're all wrong? That's what they're asking the officers. Are you saying that you're wiser than us? Right? None of the Pharisees have believed. And the irony is, the irony though, is that God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the, the wise. And they were wrong. Because at least one of those Pharisees, as we will meet in a few seconds, Nicodemus, at least one of those Pharisees had encountered Jesus. Remember John chapter 3? He came in secret, the teacher of Israel, right? He came in secret by night. John chapter 3, you remember Jesus taught him, right? What it means to be born again. Jesus told him about the love of God. John chapter 3 verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible. We covered this, didn't we? And though in our text, in John 7, he hasn't yet publicly identified himself as a disciple of Jesus, if you keep reading by John 19, by, by Jesus' death, we, we realize that he, he is a disciple. He helps to bury Jesus' body. He is a disciple. They were wrong. 
Verse 49, they move to the crowds. Okay, now they're going to attack the people. They said, but this crowd, this crowd doesn't know the law and they are accursed. Right? That's what they say. They're uneducated. Uneducated people are the ones who follow Jesus. That's what they're saying. Right? You have to be uneducated to follow Jesus. They don't know the law. And do you know what the irony is? What's the irony here? Um, These Pharisees were the ones who were not following the law. Why do I say that? Because in verse 51, what does Nicodemus do? He reminds them, right, of what? Verse 51, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? See the irony? The irony. They were in the wrong. They called the crowds who believed in Jesus, what do they call them? Cursed, right? They pronounce a curse on the crowds for believing in Jesus, but they were wrong. Why do I say that? Because in six months, Jesus was going to take their curse upon himself at the cross. Those who believed in him, Jesus was going to take their curse. So in fact, the only people in, the, in this scenario who remained under the curse of God for their sin was who? These leaders. These leaders. They were wrong. And in verse 52, um, the last verse when they couldn't answer Nicodemus, right, he, he, he gave a solid argument. He gave good reasoning. They couldn't answer him. And in pride, what happens when you're proud? You don't want to admit you're wrong, right? Husbands, wives, right? No? Okay. Right? You don't want to admit you're wrong. And so what do they do? They double down and they actually distort the truth in order to win their argument. Look what they said. They said, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Is that true, church? Absolutely not. They are willfully ignoring the truth. For the prophet Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25 did come from Galilee. He did come from Galilee. And so being so proud, right? So proud of who they were, thinking they knew better, they ignored the truth. They ignored the Bible when it didn't fit their lives, and so they were wrong about Jesus, and they didn't respond to his invitation. How could they? For James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. You know, pride, the thing we celebrate in our streets today, God opposes the proud. You can't come to God if you're proud of who you are. You know that, right? Because in order to come to a holy God, what is the first thing you must do? You must humble yourself and recognize who you really are. How can you be proud of being a sinner, deserving nothing but death? No. You come with humility, pleading for the grace of God. And thanks be to God, He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And so as we close, these were the responses, okay? Christ gave his invitation. There were those who believed by the Spirit. There were those who did not believe because they knew the Scriptures, but they didn't come to Jesus. There were those who were torn, right? Between the fear of man and the fear of God, they were torn. And then there were those, still others, who in pride thought they knew better, but they were wrong. They were wrong. Church, I think this describes the typical responses of people today. 
I think these responses are very characteristic of the responses we see today in our society. You know, when I began, I told you invitations divide us, right? I told you they divide us into two groups, right? Those who say yes, those who say no. Um, but, but there is a third category, okay? There's a third category I'd like to mention as we conclude, those who are a maybe, right? You guys know, everyone's smiling because you've, you've hosted an event and the maybes are the worst to plan for, right? Because until the moment of the event, you don't even know if they're coming. You've got to order enough food, right? The maybes, the third category, the maybes. What are, who are these? These are the people who don't know yet, right? They don't know. I don't know if I can attend. I don't know. There's some things I might need to sort out first, right? There are some things I can't fully commit yet, yes or no, because I just don't know. And like Nicodemus in verse 51, they want to know more. Tell me more so I can decide, right? I want to know more. I want to know more so I can, I want to give Jesus a hearing, right? So I can learn what he has done. Verse 51, I want to learn what he has done before responding to the invitation. And I have a sense that there are some of you here who are in this category, right? Who are in this maybe category. You're not sure yet. And if that's you, can I encourage you, please, from the depths of my heart, to seek. Seek. Seek, friends, those watching online, seek. Because like these officers, you may already know that there was no, no one who ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. Maybe you already know that. But give him a hearing. Just like Nicodemus, give him a hearing. Because what do we know, church? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? The word of Christ. The word of Christ. And this is my caution, okay? Just before the worship team comes, my only caution is this, okay? Can I leave you with this? You can be a maybe for a time, right? But once the party happens, right? Once the event occurs, what happens to all the maybes? There's no more any maybes. Right? There's only those who attended and those who did not. Right? And so, let us respond to Christ's invitation while it still stands. Worship team, if you can come. Church, if you can stand, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing this song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Regardless of what category you may be in, can I encourage you, find someone today, pray with them, especially those of you who are in that maybe group, You're, you want to know more, you want to hear more, I encourage you, take that step and, and see, and you will find. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful morning that we got to hear your invitation. What a beautiful invitation it is, Father, that anyone, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Thank you, Jesus, that you have offered this to the world. And yet we know, Lord, that so many of us are, are in different scenarios. Some of us believe, some of us don't. Even though we know the Bible, yet we have not yet come to you. Some of us are torn. Oh God, the fear of man, what will this do? What will people think of me is, is what's holding us back. We have not yet understood fully the fear of God. And lastly, there are those of us who are so proud in our pride, we think we know everything. We know better. Oh, Lord, humble us today. Humble us today to recognize 
that we need you, that we are thirsty, and nothing in this world can satisfy that thirst but Christ. Help us, Lord. And so, O Lord, as, as Nicodemus said, let us give you a hearing. Let us learn what you have done that we might respond with faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name.